hear the word of God from the introduction to the first letter of Thessalonian to the Thessalonian church. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sydney. Good morning, Waypoint Church. It's a joy to open God's Word with you. We're shifting gears a little bit this morning and taking a pause from our series through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, This was intentional. We planned this when we were planning our sermon series for the year, and we're jumping into the New Testament letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Uh, We'll spend the next several weeks walking through these letters And uh, we've sandwiched these in the middle of the book of Ezekiel for a couple of reasons. Uh, One reason is that the book of Ezekiel is long and somewhat heavy. And as you've probably felt over the last few weeks, um, we wanted to zoom out a little bit and not get lost in the trees and lose sight of the forest. Uh, the, the other reason is that we chose First and Second Thessalonians is I think we will see some overlapping themes from Ezekiel here in First and Second Thessalonians. One of these is, as we've mentioned, Ezekiel is an apocalyptic book. It's very future-oriented, and as it is situated in the history of Israel's captivity in Babylon, it still has a future element looking forward to Christ's return. And so um, we will see as we walk through First and Second Thessalonians that one of the major themes of these letters is the second return of Christ. And so just to give a little bit of context as we jump in this morning to First Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, The church in Thessalonica was planted by Paul. Many of you know I came on staff here at White Point as a church planning resident. And I want you to imagine a scenario with me. Let's say in, say, a year and a half from now, uh, myself and a team from here from Waypoint is sent out. Let's say we plant a church in North Durham. 
We plant that church. Stanley's on board for that. Okay, so we plant the church. I um, have the privilege of, of being part of what God is doing there. And I, I preach three weeks in a row. And it's clear after those three weeks that there's some opposition in the area. Some of the key leaders in that area are not happy with the church. And so they start to kind of uh, uh, raise some um, uh, conflict in the area. It shows up in the indie, and it shows up in some of the local newspapers. And uh, some people aren't happy, and there continues to be increasing conflict to the point that I am chased out of town. Just imagine the scenario with me. I am chased out of town. I can no longer stay with this church plant, and I have to go on to another calling. You can imagine my heart in that being torn. I have a team of people, and we saw that the gospel was starting to bear fruit. In fact, people who just were unchurched were starting to come and hear the gospel, and we were starting to see life change, and all of a sudden, I'm chased out of town. Well, this is what happened to Paul when he planted the church in Thessalonica. He planted the church. We are told in Acts chapter 17 that he preached for three consecutive Sundays in the synagogue. Now, we don't know exactly how long Paul was able to stay there in Thessalonica, but what we do know is that the narrative that uh, Luke records for us in Acts 17 seems to indicate that shortly after, Paul is chased out of town. And part of the reason is that as Acts 17 is telling this story, they, um, the people, the mob of people who are unhappy with Paul and his ministry and this new church uh, say this about him. They are defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And this was the point of contention there in Thessalonica. And so as Paul is chased out of town, he and Silas um, continue on their missionary journeys. And we learn later in the New Testament that Paul longed to return to Thessalonica and see how this church was doing. But what we do know is that he sends Timothy to get a, a, a reading. Is this church doing okay? Did they survive? There was clearly persecution going to happen as a result of their stand that there is another king and his name is Jesus. And so Paul sends Timothy and he gets a report back. And the letter, the first letter of 1 Thessalonians is in many ways a response to what Timothy saw and heard from his visit to the church. And it's overwhelmingly an encouraging report. And so as we jump here into uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, what we see is a, a prayer of thanksgiving on behalf of Paul. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why he's 
His praise report is so overwhelmingly positive because in verse 4 and 5 he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And this is why. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And so, as we consider this first chapter of Thessalonians, I, I, I want us to ask this question of, uh, oh, if the gospel came not ser- merely with words, but with power, the question I have is, what does that look like? What does it look like if the gospel comes with power in our lives and in this church? He uses three phrases there, with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. I think he's saying these three are one and the same. When the gospel comes with power, it comes with the work of the Holy Spirit, and it comes with a sense of deep conviction. And the first chapter here in 1 Thessalonians is really a picture for us of what it looks like when the gospel comes with power. And so uh, just rewind to the verses we just saw before this when he says we thank God for you. Here's what he says are the, the, the fruits or the evidence of the gospel coming with power. You'll notice he says your work. Uh, Let me underline that for us. Your work, which is produced by faith. And then he says, your labor, which is prompted by love, and your endurance, which is inspired by hope. Faith, hope, and love. You probably recognize that trio. It's probably as well known throughout the New Testament as the Trinity itself. Faith, hope, and love. We hear those words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, it's interesting because Paul uses those three words elsewhere throughout his writings. He uses it in Galatians. He uses it in some of his other letters. But he mixes the order here. He says faith, love, and hope. And I think the reason here is, and I think we'll see this as we walk through this passage, a huge theme of the book of 1 Thessalonians is that we have a hope in Christ. A future hope. And it changes how we view our present circumstances. And if you can imagine this church planted by the Apostle Paul He's chased out of town. They're facing persecution and severe suffering, as we see in the verses that follow here. They're facing severe suffering. You can imagine that they are having questions, that they are struggling a little bit with the, the future of their faith. And Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians as an encouragement to suffering believers that The gospel has power. And if the gospel has power, you're going to see these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And so I want to just briefly walk through these things as I think the verses that follow really give us a picture of what that looks like. Um, 
as we walk through this, we are going to see that faith is a change of allegiance. Faith is a change of allegiance. This is what happened for the church in Thessalonica. As Paul came and proclaimed the good news of Jesus, we hear this report that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. And so what happens is the, the people there in Thessalonica put their trust, their allegiance in Jesus. In the end of chapter 1, we see these words. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice he says they turned from idols to the living God. This is not a new concept. We saw this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel has been uh, chapter after chapter really pointing us to the reality that idolatry is not merely a, um, a physical, tangible thing that we set on a shelf and worship. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, we saw uh, the Lord say this, the Israelites set up idols in their hearts. That there is a spiritual idolatry. And so what are these spiritual idols? The Lord says, um, they put up a wicked stumbling block before their faces then go to a prophet. I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture their hearts. Notice that God's desire when his people turn to idolatry in their hearts is his desire is to recapture our hearts. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. And so what does the report of what's happening here in Thessalonica say? Is they turned from idols to the living and true God. Uh, Tim Keller says this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And this is the heart of idolatry. The city of Thessalonica was uh, in many ways surrounded by pagan culture. About 60 miles away from Thessalonica, and you could see it, was Mount Olympus, which is the home of the gods in Greek mythology. This was a culture that was deeply influenced by uh, a pagan mythology. And so there was a very real sense in which idols was not a um, merely abstract concept for them. Idols were real tangible things. And so in some ways we look at our culture today and we say, well, we don't have Mount Olympus and we don't have physical tangible idols, but our culture is surely familiar with the control that happens when we look to something for our security, value, and satisfaction. Whatever we look to for control is what controls us. And so as 
Paul says, I hear this report. I give thanks for your faith, your love, and your hope. When he's talking about faith, he's talking about a change of allegiance. You turned from things that were controlling you to saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, and I want you to shape my security, my value, and my significance. And so we've seen this as we've walked through the prophets of the Old Testament, and we see it here in the New Testament, that if we are not following Jesus, we are following something. We are being disciples of something. And as we think and step back and consider what does that look like in my life, I think one of the things we have to ask is what do we turn to when we are longing for rescue? What do we turn to when we are longing for rescue? When life feels a little bit out of control, you get that call from the doctor and you have news that is haunting you in the late hours of the night, where does your heart turn for rescue? I know for me, I sometimes find anxiety creep up in my heart. And as I, as I, as I feel that anxiety, I have to ask, where is that coming from? And I think one of the important things for us to do as we uh, think through this, this turning from idols to the true and living God is we have to really look at the fruit of our lives. And that's what Paul does here in 1 Thessalonians. He, he looks at the fruit. He sees faith, love, and hope. And he, he actually says, I see work, labor, and endurance. And he traces those back to the root of those, which is faith, love, and hope. And when it comes to idolatry, I think we have to do the same thing. We have to look at some of the things that we see surface in our hearts. So with, for, for me, one of the struggles I have is anxiety. When I have something that is future, that is unknown, that I can't control, I start to realize that the fruit is anxiety, but the root of that is something deeper. It is my desire for control, and beneath that desire for control is inherently pride. That I believe that I can have control, that I can stand in the place of God. And maybe I don't actually believe that, but I crave it. And so as we trace the fruit to the root, we see that we have idols all around that we set within our hearts. My constant checking of the bank account is simply a fruit. As I trace that down, it's a desire for control, but that desire for control is rooted in the belief that money might give me security, significance, and meaning. And so, as Paul says, I praise God for the faith that I see, the work produced by faith. He's saying, I praise God that you recognize that there is another king and his name is Jesus. And you've turned from the dead, lifeless idols to serve the true and living God. And so as we make that 
change of allegiance, you and I have to realize this morning that faith is not merely a decision that we make. I have decided to follow Jesus. It is a continual process of our hearts turning from idols and turning to the living God. And that has to happen for me on the daily. I have to continually come back to the realization that I am going to turn to anything and everything for security, significance, and meaning. But my faith tethers me to the belief that Jesus is king. And so as I do that, I want you to see this, that Paul roots this gospel message in one reality in verse 10. To wait, he says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus raised from the dead. This is the gospel message that Jesus lived the life we could not live. He died a death that we deserved, and he rose to give victory over the grave. And we're going to look at the the hope that that produces, but I want us to, to pause here and say that here is the gospel. Jesus is victorious. He rose from the dead. In fact, let me put it, put it this way. Uh, the gospel is Jesus is king. And in the context of this passage, as we think about what is faith, what is this fruit, this mark of the power of the gospel at work in our lives, I want to suggest that, Jesus, that the faith is saying Jesus is our king. The gospel says Jesus is victorious. The faith says, I'm going to give my allegiance to that victorious king. And I'm going to follow him. And so this is faith. This is why Paul praises God. This is a mark of the gospel coming not merely with words, but with power. And so um, our, our, our son, Elijah, he's two years old. He is, um, I don't know, I guess the right word is obsessed with lawnmowers. Um, and he, uh, at an early age, has discovered the joy of pool starting, uh, pretending to pool start his little plastic, little tykes lawnmower. And so he will just pull start that thing. And um, what I've realized is he doesn't just pull start lawnmowers. Um, he will go up to um, a stuffed animal and he will go, <laughs> and he will um, go up to his baby brother and he will go, mm. <laughs> and he, he, he will go up to uh, pretty much anything and everything and try to pull start it. Um, what a picture of what we so often do when we go looking for power, when we go looking for significance and meaning and security in anything and everything that is lifeless idols. And Paul says, you turned from lifeless idols to the true and living God. And this is the gospel Jesus is king. Faith says Jesus is our king. And so that, that is faith. Let's, let's jump to, Paul says, not only do I praise God for the work produced by faith, but the labor that comes from your love. 
Uh, he says, you became imitators of us and the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that love, as Paul is talking about the, the fruit of the gospel coming not merely with words but with power, love is a joyful allegiance. If faith is a change of allegiance, love is a joyful allegiance. And this is what I mean by that. He's, he describes how the gospel came to them in the midst of severe suffering and how they received our message with joy. Jim Wilder, in his book, The Other Half of Church, he says that joy is relational. It is what we feel when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. Joy does not exist outside of a relationship. And so as we think about joy being produced by the Holy Spirit, as the gospel comes to these believers in the midst of severe suffering, it is coming out of a love. A love relationship. And notice how verse 5, uh, if, I can, if I can find this, jumps. Um, in verse 5, he says, We know, brothers and sisters, he grounds his confidence in what? That they are loved by God. Brothers and sisters, loved by God. It, this is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Not only is Jesus a reigning king, but he's a relational king. He loves us. He sets his love upon us such that he said to us, you are my beloved child. And out of that love comes a relational joy. And so as we saw that faith is a, a change of allegiance, love is a joyful allegiance. So the gospel says Jesus is king. Faith says Jesus is our king. And love says we will follow our king with joy. Such that even if the circumstances are the, the friends and the culture around me really oppose where I stand in this belief that Jesus is king, that he does reign, that he is worth ordering the morals of my life. As much as that rubs the culture around me, love as we come from this place of I am loved by the Father and I want to operate out of a love for him, love says I will follow my king with joy. And so uh, love is a, a, a realization that Jesus is a relational king and invites us to follow him and to abide in him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And as we think about Paul looking at the fruit of the gospel, the gospel came not merely with power, with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. The, the, the thing that that is going to produce is love. And what does John 15 give us a picture of? That as we abide in Christ, as we stay connected to him, as we remain in him, his love will remain in us. And so following Jesus in the midst of, one, a culture that 
opposes the message that Jesus is king, and two, a a world that is full of brokenness, uh, that is full of heartache. How do we have joy in the midst of that? We stay in the love of the Father and let that love produce in us a love not only for him but the world around us such that we can say no matter the circumstances, we will follow our king with joy. And so not only is faith a change of allegiance and love is a joyful allegiance, but I also want to suggest that hope is a resilient allegiance. And I think this is where all of 1 Thessalonians is pointing us to, and even the end of chapter 1 here is pointing us to, is that um, hope is a resilient allegiance. As Paul had to uh, be chased out of town, and he's writing to a church that he had very little time with, but he had a, a significant, meaningful time with, He wants to encourage them that we don't just have a a message that is is life-changing for this moment, but we have a hope that is yet to come. In fact, I want you to see how uh, foundational this is throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians. Each chapter of 1 Thessalonians, is five chapters long, references the future coming of Jesus. In chapter 1, we just read, to wait for his son from heaven. Chapter 2 says, our Lord Jesus, when he comes. Obviously, there's context to each of these, but I want you to see verse chapter 3, when our Lord Jesus comes, chapter Chapter 4, until the coming of our Lord. Chapter 5, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's rewind back to chapter 1, where he says, um, I thank God for the endurance inspired by hope. Hope is a resilient allegiance to Jesus. It gives us endurance. So let's look here at the end of this chapter. He says, They tell you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from our coming wrath. Um. This is the gospel. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. And I'll say this. um, You'll probably hear me say this often, but the resurrection is a historical reality. Jesus rose from the dead. That points us to a future reality that we too will rise with him that changes our present experience of a reality. The resurrection is is a historical reality Jesus rose from the dead that points us to a future reality. We too will rise that changes our present experience of reality. And that's what Paul's encouraging the church with. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Hope, the hope that we have in Jesus is a resilient allegiance to Jesus. And so if the gospel says Jesus is king, faith says Jesus is our king, love says we will follow our king with joy, hope says our king is coming so we do not lose heart. Hope says our king is coming so we do not lose heart. 
So as we look at the world around us and we see brokenness and we see pain and we experience the painful effects of sin in this world, we stand on the hope that our king is yet to come. Our king has come. He has rescued us from the painful penalty of sin and death. But its effects remain in this world, and our hope as believers in Jesus is that our King is coming. And so it, Paul, Paul uses this word rescue. This is, this is what from Genesis to Revelation is God's movement in our world. His plan is to rescue, to deliver. And so the, the deliverance of the people from slavery in Egypt becomes like this iconic picture of the gospel throughout the Old Testament that our God is a deliverer. And so we stand on the reality that our God is a rescuer and that their, our present experience of brokenness and suffering, of, of persecution and pain, that that is not the end of the story. Our king is coming, so we do not lose heart. And as we wrap this up, I want to point us to the middle of this chapter. In verse 8, he says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. And so it, it the message rang out, this word rang out, it, um, it's only used right here in the New Testament. It's kind of a unique word, but it, 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 the Greek word is exekeo, which if you kind of sound that out, echo is buried within that. He's saying the gospel message echoed, it reverberated. It's what would be used, it's a word that would be used if, if, if like, I pulled out a trumpet this morning and just blasted it. And that sound reverberates. It almost kind of shakes your eardrums. It shakes the walls. This is what Paul is saying happened as a result of the faith, love, and hope of the Thessalonians. Is that the gospel message reverberated throughout the land so that their faith in God... Uh, God has become known everywhere. Therefore, he says, we don't have to say anything about you. I don't even have to give a stamp of approval that this, this church is legit. Why? Because the gospel came not merely with words, but with power. And how do we know that? Because of faith, a change of allegiance, love. I will follow my king with joy, a joyful allegiance and hope. They're standing on the reality that our king is coming. And so that gives me a resilient allegiance to Jesus. And so as we see this message ring out, I want to suggest this. If you kind of missed everything, here, here, here's the big idea of this passage. When our allegiance to Jesus is marked by faith, love, and hope, our lives will resound with the message that Jesus is our coming king. Paul seems to assume that of the church in Thessalonica, that if the gospel came not merely with words, but with power, then their lives are going to resound with the reality that Jesus is our coming king. And so I want to speak uh, just, just briefly to 
Some of you this morning maybe have never experienced the gospel coming with power. Maybe you've heard these words. Maybe you grew up in church, but you've never experienced that change of allegiance of turning from idols to the living God. Now, I want to encourage you, if you've been walking with Jesus and you're like, well, I got idols all over my life. Well, I'm me too. And so this faith is not merely a a one and done change of allegiance. It's every day me choosing to stand in that faith and walk in it. But if you have never said, I do want to follow Jesus as king, I want to encourage you that there is hope beyond the grave. That there is more to this world than the brokenness that we see. And Jesus came to rescue us, to give us a hope and a future. And not only that, to give us joy as we choose to follow him and be part of what he's doing in our world today. And some of you this morning are walking through hard things. You've been walking with Jesus And it's hard. And you have things that do keep you up at night. You have aging parents that you're taking care of. You have friends who you uh, really care about. And there is brokenness in that relationship. Some of you have been chasing the idols of success, of security, of money, of comfort. And you're trying to follow Jesus in the midst of it. The message of the gospel to you is Jesus is king. And as followers of Jesus, he is our king. And out of the love that he has loved us, we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, my king, with joy. And out of the hope that we have in the gospel, we say, my king is coming, so I do not lose heart. And so I encourage you, turn from lifeless idols. Quit trying to find power in anything and everything in this world and turn to the living and true God because he is our hope. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that we do wait for your return. God, as we respond and worship this morning, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may be struggling Um, I pray for those who um, who do love you who've chosen to follow you but it's hard God I pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning with the hope of the resurrection God I pray for my brothers and sisters who do feel the broken realities of the world around us. God, I pray that you would bolster our hope this morning. Would you strengthen our grasp on your love for us? That no circumstance, no diagnosis, no relationship of this world No number in that bank account can change your love for us. So Lord, we turn this morning from our lifeless idols and we turn to you, the true and living God. 
And we thank you for our hope. We pray in Jesus' name.